It's just a joy to be here with you this morning. And if you are a guest for the very first time, I'd like to orient you to what you've already observed. Uh, In a moment, I'm going to be preaching a message from the Bible, which we believe is the very Word of God, and what we call expository preaching. Uh, It's one of the ways we worship God on Sunday mornings here at Palm Vista. You participated in the first way that we worship God at the very beginning of the service, and that is through song. So we're singing truth about God. We're singing things that honor God. We're singing to God, but we're also singing for one another so that I can hear my neighbor singing these words that I know are true. But, you know, sometimes I come in here and my faith is a little weak. I don't know about you. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. And then we continue to worship God as members of the church through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest for the first time, we don't expect that from you at all. We want to give to you. We want to be hospitable to you this morning. We're going to do that right through these doors at the end of my message in a guest reception. I'd love to meet you and say hi and shake your hand and and we have a small gift for you. And then, as I mentioned, we worship God. Really, the centerpiece of our service, the way we, we believe God builds His church is through His Word preserved for us, really, over thousands of years. I mean, Moses wrote the Pentateuch in about 1500 B.C., and depending on how you would date the New Testament, John wrote the last book, Revelation, in around 80 or 90 A.D. So over the span of 1500 years, 40 different authors, 66 books, all inspired by God. And so we just work our way through these books. We preach through these books. Expository preaching just means we're trying to read and understand the text in the original language as pastors that were able to be trained in seminary and then trying to understand the meaning of it and then preach it to you as it is stated here and then ask God to give us faith to apply it to our lives. That's how we believe God builds the local church. And so that's what we're committed to do, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So the title of the message this morning is, Jesus is Alive. (laughs) Appropriate title for Resurrection Easter morning, I believe. And the text that we've chosen is Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 8. If you don't have a Bible, or perhaps uh, you you misplaced it, or, or this is new to you, first of all, thank you for coming. Second of all, we have a free gift for you, a Bible, right on this back table, and if you want to Excuse yourself right now and go grab one. Please feel free to do that. It won't bother me at all or anyone else. If you're here with the guests, if you want to grab one for them, there's hardback Bibles there. Grab one. Open it to Luke 24. It's the third book of the New Testament. So you have the Old Testament, and then written in Hebrew, then the New Testament written in Greek, and Luke is the third of those New Testament books. It's a gospel. It, It tells us the life, teachings of Jesus Christ. So we're going to Luke chapter 24. And we're going to be preaching from verses 1 to 8. So good to see some of you here for the first time in a long time. Oh, it's great. And so this morning, the the title of the message is Jesus is Alive. I just want to give you a heads up. Next week, if you're here for the first time, next week, we're going to preach the second part of Luke 24 that deals with Jesus' ascension into heaven. Now, I realize there's 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. I get that. Uh, But we're going to preach them back-to-back Sundays because we've done a little mini-series on Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Uh, A week ago, we spoke of his life in the Palm Sunday message. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. 
Friday night, three days ago, we preached about Jesus' death. We talked about his cry from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and we preached on what's so good about Good Friday. And today I have the privilege of preaching Jesus' resurrection from the dead in Luke 24. And next week we'll complete our little mini-series on Jesus' ascension into heaven. Because Jesus Christ is the gospel. He's the centerpiece of Christianity. And his resurrection from the dead is at the center of Christianity. Jesus is alive, friends. We are gathered here today not to commemorate the death of a martyr, but to celebrate the resurrection of a Savior. That's at the core of Christianity. And so, if you open your Bible to Luke 24, verse 1, let me pray for us. Let me pray for you, dear believer, who just needs to be encouraged this morning. You need to remember these things that have been recorded for us. Your faith to be refreshed. And I want to pray for you, unbeliever. Thank you again for coming. I respect you for coming. I want to pray that perhaps for most of us we're going to be remembering, but for you, you may be seeing something for the very first time. Person on the back row person on the front row, whether you are enthusiastic about what's happening right now or you're a bit agnostic about what's happening right now, I'd like to pray for you so that we could hear God's word, enjoy it, savor it, and let it speak to our hearts. So let's pray. Father, I pray your blessing upon this, your word. I pray that you would anoint, you would give me the ability by your spirit who is here with us to preach your word faithfully. And I pray that you would silence all distractions and that you would open all ears and cause every heart to be soft, alive to these truths. If there are dead hearts here this morning, oh Father, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, God the Son, that God the Holy Spirit would open blind eyes and bring to life dead hearts and give ears that could not hear, have never heard, they would hear. Oh, they've heard these words, but they've never heard and understood them. This morning would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read it, shall we, church? Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn... They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. All right, here's the question that should scream at you from this text. Who are they? Who's the they here described in this text over and over and over? 
Well, much to our surprise, particularly if we listen with first century ears, the they are women. How do we know this? Because we look at Luke 23, verses 55 to 56. The verses preceding Luke 24, 1, and these verses tell us the following. The women who had come with him from Galilee. The women who had come with him from Galilee. Later in Luke 24, we're told the names of three of these women. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Joanna. And there are several other women with them. So women, now before we move on from this, before we move on from the they, before we move on from the fact that women, maybe five or more of them, were the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the centerpiece of all Christianity, before we move on from that, we've got to train our 21st century ears and eyes and minds along the lines of first century sensibilities. You see, friends, it's really unusual that God chose women to be the first witnesses of the grandest event in all of history. In the first century, sadly, women were not even allowed or eligible to testify in Jewish court of law. Their word was not trusted. The historian Josephus, a first century Jewish historian, said that even the witness of multiple women was not reliable, was not acceptable. So why did God, in all four accounts of the resurrection, why did God put women as the first witnesses of Jesus Christ's resurrection? Here's why. Because the kingdom of Christ takes the kingdom of man and the system of this world and turns it upside down. Because into this world, Jesus radically affirmed the dignity of women, which in the first century wasn't there. And even more importantly, because God wanted to assert and and make certain the historical accuracy of these accounts of the resurrection. Because, you know, a lot of people said, and they still say today, and it's somewhat understandable when you think about someone coming back from the dead, A lot of people are like, well, "Eh, I don't think so. I think there's some spin here. I think a publicist is working on this one. Really? Well, let me tell you something. If you think that, pretty bad publicist. Because if all of these accounts were simply a fabrication of Jesus' followers, trust me, they would not have chosen women to be the first witnesses. Not for their first century audience. Now, We got that? Our 21st century minds have now been updated to 1st century sensibilities. This account is true. These women, going back to chapter 24, verse 1, the they, we know that they were eyewitnesses to Jesus' crucifixion. Now remember, when was Jesus crucified? Well, he was crucified on Friday. They hung him on the cross at 9 in the morning. He died somewhere around three in the afternoon. Friday for the Jew is the Sabbath, at least Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown is the Sabbath. And this Sabbath was particularly important. It was the Passover Sabbath. So according to Jewish law, these women who were observing Jesus die on the cross, they also observed the Jewish authorities consulting with the Roman authorities and saying, we've got to get his body off that cross. We've got to make sure he's dead. And they did. They put a spear in his side. 
We've got to get his body into a tomb because according to our tradition, it's unclean if he doesn't get buried before sundown. So these women on Friday watched them hurriedly rip Jesus' body off the cross, hurriedly wrap his body in a cloth. They saw the unusual event that a very wealthy man, Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Jewish council said, I want the body. And I'll put him in my wealthy man's tomb, by the way, fulfilling one of the prophecies of the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, 9, that Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant, would be buried in a rich man's grave. And they followed this hasty funeral to Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And they watched them put Jesus in the tomb. Why? Because as the sun was setting, they knew they had to get home because on the Sabbath, no Jew could work. But they were waiting until after the Sabbath so they knew where to come back to and they were going to come back and they were going to properly embalm Jesus' body. That's what it says here when it says they prepared spices and ointments in chapter 23, verse 56, and in chapter 24, verse 1, when it says, but on the first day of the week, Sunday now, At early dawn, they couldn't wait to get to Jesus' body. They had to wait all Sabbath, Friday at sundown, to Saturday at sundown. So technically they could have gone on Saturday night, but who wants to go into a cemetery at night? So you can understand, they were anxious, but they're going to wait until the daylight comes on Sunday morning, the third day. And as we see in chapter 24, verse 1, they, they, they go the first day at early dawn. Now, what's early dawn? I mean, dawn is early, right, for most of us. Like, early dawn. Like, as soon as that first wave went, boom, they're out the door. And they're, they're going to the tomb. And what do they have with them? Look at chapter 24, verse 1. Taking the spices they had prepared. Now, in the first century, embalming wasn't what it is today. So if a body dies and you don't embalm it, it's going to start decomposing, it's going to start stinking. And they wanted to honor their Lord Jesus. So they had spices, they had ointments. They were going to go and, in a sense, embalm a dead body. But oh, were they surprised. Because when they get to the tomb, what happens? Here's a facsimile of a tomb. not sure if it's the tomb, I doubt it. But that big rock there probably weighed about one to two pounds. Pounds. One to two tons. (laughs) Now you know why they didn't choose me as an early witness. And if we look at the text, what do they find? Look at verse 2. Chapter 24, verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away, much like this stone would have been rolled away. It would have been on a track that you could roll. But it's one or two tons. Okay? All right. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, verse 3. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Interesting choice of words in verses 2 and 3. They found the stone, but they did not find the body. Imagine, my friends, that you go to a good friend's funeral. Any one of the funeral homes here, right here at Vista Memorial. And much to your surprise, when you get there, there's no body. No one can find the body. As a minimum, there'd be confusion. In South Florida, there'd be a lot of drama. (laughs) In the text, there was perplexity. Look at verse 4. 
while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Now, imagine these women walking into the tomb. They could all fit in there tightly. They're looking around. The word behold in verse 4 is a word of immediacy. Like one moment they're, they're looking around in perplexity, and the next moment they are staring at two men who suddenly appeared in dazzling apparel in abject horror. Now, these two men later in, in Luke 24 are going to be described as angels, but kind of what gave it away was the dazzling apparel. These guys are not from around here. They've been in God's presence with God's glory. And so their apparel is so bright, it's dazzling. I mean, they may have been shielding their eyes, but more out of fear. They react like everybody in the Bible reacts to angels. Don't get me started on unbiblical angels. With little choir robes and and wings. No, no, these are Airborne Ranger SEAL Team 6 angels. Like, they show up, and everybody in the Bible hits the deck now. Read it. You find me a place in the Bible where angels show up, and people aren't saying things like, don't kill me. They're always hitting the ground. These women's faces were buried in the dirt. And our faces would be, too, if two angels suddenly appeared here in dazzling apparel. It would be interesting, but some of us would have to, you know, check our hearts. And so did these ladies. What's amazing is what the angels said to them. So imagine the women, they're on their faces in the dirt. They are very afraid. And they hear the angels say the following. Look at verse 5b. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Now, obviously, these are not Cuban women because there's no response. I'm Cuban, I'm Cuban, so I can say this, okay? But I think a Cuban lady would have been going like, ah, because we saw him die on the cross three days ago and watched them carry him here. (laughs) They didn't say that. And you know what? Not even a Cuban woman may have said that because fear was gripping their hearts at that moment. You're not going to talk back to an angel, even though he asks a question that to you may seem a little absurd. I'm here because I saw him die. This is where they take dead people, a cemetery, a tomb. But the angels didn't even wait for the response. Listen to what they say. Listen to their declaration. Listen to the most beautiful words ever, ever uttered on this earth. The words that ushered in a new kingdom. The words that usher in a new time. The words that changed everything. 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 Look at verse 6. He is not here but has risen, but has risen, but has risen. Oh, friends, why are these words such good news? And if you're a guest, you've never heard this before, I I pray you would hear it and then ask me about it later or ask the person you're with later. Here's why it's such good news. Because we preached this just a couple of weeks ago. When Adam, the first man, chose to disobey God in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time, God sentenced on him and he told Adam it would happen if Adam disobeyed him. God's sentence on him was death. 
And Adam, that moment that he sinned, died immediately spiritually, separated from God, and eventually died physically. And the Bible teaches that all of us, men or women, everybody that's born is born dead spiritually. And we're born guilty of Adam's sin, that sin in the garden. And we have the sentence of death on us, and eventually we will die. Got word yesterday that Sabrina Sosa's grandmother died suddenly yesterday. And it's it's just a shock. I mean, it's her grandmother, so she is an elderly woman, but it still hurts. Death, we hate death. We fear death. We don't like death. We know death is wrong. Death came in because of sin. And what these words say is that the punishment of death that sin deserves was fulfilled by Jesus on the cross for all who would trust in him and him alone. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we now have life. Jesus is alive. He's not here. He's risen. Now listen to what the angels tell the women. So I, I, I can only imagine at this point perplexity, fear, Dirt on my face. Um, It's early in the morning. Did I really even wake up this morning? I've got all these spices. I mean, the spices are probably just all over the floor now. I came to embalm a dead man, and I'm being told by angels who frighten me that he's very much alive. You may have come here this morning for one reason. Oh, I tell you, Jesus is alive. And it makes all the difference in the world. But listen to what the angels tell them. And the angels are telling us the same thing. Listen. Verse 6b. Remember, remember, remember how he, Jesus, told you while he was still in Galilee, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And the third day arise. And verse 8 tells us a beautiful thing. And they remembered his words. Their lives were changed. See, that's my prayer. You would remember his words. Whatever darkness, whatever death you're experiencing, whatever things you're going through, that you would remember the words that Jesus is alive and it would make all the difference in your life. And if you've never understood them or heard them, that you'd hear them for the first time this morning. We're not going to preach this part of it, but the rest of this narrative, the women get up and they go and they tell the apostles and they tell everybody. These are the first witnesses. They remembered. And that's God's call to us this morning. We are to remember. We are to remember. You see, the reason the women sought the living among the dead is that they forgot Jesus and what he said. The reason the women were seeking the living among the dead is that they forgot what Jesus said. How about you? Do you find yourself in a cemetery, metaphorically speaking, at a dead end? You've come to embalm a dead body, a dead dream, dead hopes. But you've forgotten what Jesus said. And God's message to us this morning is a message of hope, of resurrection, hope. His message is, he's not here, he's risen. Get out of the cemetery. He's not here. That is God's burden for us this morning. Stop looking for the living among the dead and remember what Jesus said. And that is the main point of the message here on the screen. Remember what Jesus said and understand 
what it means. Remember what Jesus said and understand what it means. Now, I realize for some of you, it's not remembering. For you, it'll be for the first time hearing it and understanding it. But for most of us, it'll be remembering what he said and understanding afresh and anew and applying afresh and anew what he has said to us. So point one, remember what Jesus said. Now, the Greek word translated remember here has a range of meaning. In other words, one Greek word, and there's several ways you can translate it in English. One of the ways, obviously, is remember. That's how it's translated here. Another way is to recollect. Another way is to remind oneself. See, I think what the angels are saying to the women is, listen, remind yourself that Jesus said he would die, and, but he would rise again from the dead. But they had forgotten it. They had forgotten what Jesus had said. Now, no time to turn there. We have it on the screen for you. This is where he said it, Luke 9, 22. And Jesus saying, okay, so the antecedent to saying is Jesus, the previous verse. Jesus saying, the Son of Man, interesting, he calls himself Son of Man. We're going to get to that in a moment. Must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. That's what the angel said they needed to remember. And in order to jog their memories, back to Luke 24, 7 in your Bible here, the, the, the angels repeat what he said. Look at this, verse 7. That the Son of Man, they use the same title for Jesus that Jesus used for himself. By the way, a title that was Jesus' favorite title for himself. This title, Son of Man, Jesus used it 84 times in the four Gospels. 84 times. This was Jesus' favorite reference to himself. And it's the reference the angels use for Jesus. And it's the reference that has much Old Testament history behind it. Actually, I want to share with you the Old Testament history behind the words, the title Son of Man. So again, your 21st century Gentile mind can get acclimated to 1st century Jewish mind. Because Jesus used the title Son of Man for himself on purpose. You get that, right? And the angels repeated it on purpose so that we could get the idea. And here's where it comes from. It comes from a scripture in Daniel. No need to turn there. We've got it on the screen for you. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And Jesus knew it came from Daniel. And the Jews knew that this term meant this. And this is why Jesus used it 84 times for himself. Here it is, Daniel. There you go, verse 13. Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus says, I'm the son of man. It's my kingdom. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ that is coming. And it's this son of man who says the following. Now this is what, remember, this is what the angel said that the women needed to remember, what we need to remember. Look again at your text, verse 7. That the Son of Man must, 
Now, before we get into what we're going to remember, that word must is important. Circle that word. It's, it's a favorite word of Luke's. It's a word of driving imperative. It's a word of driving purpose. Listen, it's, it's a word that says the following. The one who is the eternal ruler of all, the son of man, is going to, he must, it's going to happen. He is going to fulfill God's plan of salvation. And he's going to share that plan of salvation with them in just a moment. He's going to remind them of it. He's going to remind us of it. And we're going to enjoy listening to it. But the thing I want you to capture is this. Not just anyone is saying this. They're not just remembering what anyone has to say. Some newscaster, some great professor, a great teacher somewhere. No, 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 no. They remember what the Son of Man is telling them. The one who is ruling and reigning right now. He lives, church. These are his words. This is the plan that God, our Trinitarian God, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. This is the plan that God said will happen. That's what that word must carries with it. It's the plan. It's the plan that, that is, they agreed upon before the foundation of the earth. It's the plan that has existed through all eternity, but is now unfolding on the pages of Scripture and in history. It's the plan that we are to remember this morning. And here it is. You ready? Verse 7. That the Son of Man must, three things, be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day arise. Oh, friends, this is the plan that we must remember. This is the plan that is moving forward in history. Point one of the plan. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. And He was. The greatest evil that ever has occurred on earth is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was visited on the one perfect person that's ever lived. On God. God. Jesus Christ is God, fully God and fully man. But that plan, that evil, was part of God's plan of redemption oh yes jesus was delivered into the hands of sinful men yes jesus was stood before pontius pilate the roman governor and he said guilty oh yes jesus was delivered into the hands of herod the jewish king who was a puppet of the romans oh yes jesus was delivered into the hands of the sanhedrin and the jewish council that wrongly convicted him but god allowed that to happen you know that right like god delivered his son And his son willingly went. None of those could have ever held God captive, God the son captive, had God not said, that's my plan. Remember that. And then the second point, he must be crucified. God the Father is the one, according to Scripture, who delivered God the Son up to be crucified, to die on the cross for our sins. You see, God's judgment of death came upon Adam when he sinned. And everybody that's been born since has that judgment of death. So what happened on the cross, God said, here's the plan. I'm going to deliver God the Son into the hands of evil men. And then they're going to crucify him. And I'm going to visit the punishment of death on him at the cross. Jesus really did die on the cross. He didn't appear to die. He actually died. 
And he actually laid in a tomb for three days. And he bore, he fulfilled the penalty of death that we all deserve. God did that. And then the third point that we must remember, because see, we dare not stop at point two. Three of the Gospels have one final chapter after the crucifixion chapter. John actually has two final chapters. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad Luke doesn't end with chapter 23? With Jesus in the tomb. There's chapter 24. Why? Because this plan, this son of man, is executing the plan that must happen. And here's the third thing that must happen. The son of man must be raised on the third day. This this is what the women forgot. But they were reminded of it. This is why they went to a place for dead people when Jesus was very much alive. They forgot. They forgot. This is why we get into despair. We forget. This is why you don't have life. If you're sitting here and don't believe this, God wants to not just remind you, but open your mind up to understand it. And that's point two. Understand what it means. Understand what it means for the Son of Man, the one with all authority, the one with all power and all dominion, to then rise from the dead. The Father raised the Son from the dead. And now this Son of Man has the authority to give life. That's what it means, life. And we start with new life, what the Bible calls regeneration. I want you to remember that Jesus said he would suffer at the hands of evil men. He would be crucified at the hands of evil men, but that he would rise on the third day, and he did. But I also want you to understand what that means. What are the implications of the resurrection for you and for me? Here they are. Number one, new life. The Bible calls it regeneration. Here's a scripture for you to look at. 1 Peter 1.3 on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, life, new life, <clears throat> to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 says it this way. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, remember, we died in Adam. Spiritually born dead. One day you will die physically, unless Jesus returns before you die. So we are dead in our trespasses, and deservedly so. He, God, made us alive together with Christ. That's the fruit of the resurrection. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Friends, we were dead. I think Corey alluded to this in his prayer. We were dead, unable to respond to God's call. And God made us alive. The power of God came because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man with all authority and power. Second thing that the resurrection means is we get right life. What do I mean by that? I mean by that a life that is made right with God. That's what I mean by a right life. The Bible calls this justification. Justification. Look at Romans 4, 24 and 25. It says the following. But for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Verse 25 is key. Who was delivered up for our trespasses. So Jesus had to be delivered up on the cross and die for our trespasses. So God's wrath, God's judgment, his righteous judgment against sin, death, was 
visited on Jesus at the cross, though he did not deserve it. We deserved it. The only man that never deserved death was Jesus, because he's the only man that never sinned. But God said, okay, I'm taking that penalty of death that sin deserves. I'm making you sin. You're bearing the sin of all the people. My son. And then you're going to die. And he did. That's what verse 25 means. Who was delivered up for our trespasses. And then three days later, God says, I accept that payment. Payment accepted. Boom! And he raised them from the dead. He's raised for our justification so that sinful men and women who don't deserve to be justified can be justified, can be made right with God, have a right life because the, the judgment we deserve was visited on Jesus so that God can remain just and the justifier of the unjust because he punished the only truly just one on the cross. Man, the resurrection is really good news. It is God saying, I accept this sacrifice for you and you and you. It's not based on what you do, but what Christ has done. And the Father has accepted it. He raised him from the dead. That is the demonstration of the hope you have, no matter how hopeless your life may be right now. And finally, not only new life, and not only right life, but eternal life. The Bible calls this glorification. See, Jesus exists today in a raised body. A human body that has died and raised from the dead sits at the right hand of the Father. And he's fully God and fully man. And in the Godhead, he's everywhere at the same time, fully there. And yet there is a resurrected body that's at the right hand of the Father that's eternal that will never, ever die again. Yeah, I know, I know. The smoke's starting to come out of your ears, me too. Your eyes are starting to spin in your head. But it's true. And you know what? We'll have all eternity to understand just how true and how wonderful, how glorious it is. That this body that is sick, that coughs right now, that gets cancer, that gets hurt knees and hurt legs, children that, that, are, that are diagnosed with a terrible illness and die as infants, old people that die suddenly in their sleep like Sabrina's grandmother, That's not going to be there anymore. No more tears. No more suffering. We're going to have immortal, glorified bodies because Jesus is the first fruits, the first one. That's good news, man. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this, verses 20 to 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep is a euphemism for death. For as by one man came death. Remember I told you by that one man, Adam, came death? By a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, and we do, spiritually and eventually physically, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, and we are, spiritually first and physically. This is not my final body. I get a new version. (laughs) That lives forever and ever and ever. I know it sounds wild, but it's true. And the resurrection proves it. Someone went before us, our forerunner. He's raised. One day he'll come back. And that's what verse 23 says. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong in Christ. One day upon his return, Christ will give us immortal bodies, glorified bodies, and we will live forever and ever with him in his kingdom, in the new heavens and the new earth. Listen, that's the only reason that we remember Jesus' death in communion. Think about it. That would be a pretty morbid ceremony, wouldn't it? 
I'm eating your body and drinking your blood. A body that was broken in horrible torture at the cross and blood that was poured out in agonizing death. That only makes sense if the resurrection is true. Why would Jesus say, remember my death through communion, if it wasn't to also remember his resurrection life? We have died with him that we might live with him. The center of Christianity, friends, as I said earlier, the, the, the main point of Christianity is a resurrected Savior. My friends, the cross is empty. There's no one on the cross anymore. The tomb is empty. There's no one in the tomb anymore. Jesus is alive. And that risen Son of Man, ruling and reigning right now, has power, power to give us new life, power to give us right life, and power to give us eternal life. I want you to listen to a scripture. I'm going to read for you. We're going to display it on the screen. And as I'm reading it to you, I'd like the worship team to begin to make their way forward. It's in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. 1 Corinthians 15 has been entitled the Resurrection Chapter, only because it is. And uh, it's a great chapter to read today. Take, read it today. Get excited. Get excited about the resurrection. But listen to verses 1 to 8 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is writing. Now I would remind you, brothers, and I've been reminding you for the last 30 minutes or so, of the gospel. Here's the gospel. You ready? That I preach to you which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What did he receive? That Christ died for our sins. He was delivered in the hands of evil men. He was crucified on the cross. In accordance with the scriptures, that's right, in accordance with God's eternal plan of salvation. That he was buried, yes he was, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Amen. Verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas. It's another name for Peter, the apostle Peter. Then the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. Listen, if this was a lie, trust me, this letter was written while those 500 people, a lot of them were still alive. And if it was a lie, people would have challenged it. No one's challenged it that way. It really did happen. He really did appear to 500 people over the span of 40 days. He's alive, church. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. And Paul is writing this. He appeared to Paul. Christianity exploded not because of the death of a martyr. No, it was because of the resurrection of a Savior. This is what empowered the disciples. This is what caused Christianity to grow. This is what makes Christianity make sense only with the resurrection. Listen, the Sabbath day was changed for the Jew, the believing Jew, after this. It no longer was Saturday. It became Sunday. It became Sunday. Sunday fulfills Saturday. The resurrection fulfills all the prophecies of Messiah and the suffering servant. Communion is introduced. The calendar was changed. But most importantly, lives are changed. And I pray your life would be changed. And I pray my life would be changed. I pray that we would be equipped with this truth and remember these words and understand them. And to that end, I'd like to sing the truths that we've just been preaching in this song alive. So if you please would stand and join me. Let's sing the truth, church. Let's remind one another through song.
that Jesus is alive. Let's sing with all our hearts. Let me bless you with this benediction. It comes from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you and you and you with everything good that you may do His will, working in you that which is pleasing in His sight. He'll work in you what is pleasing in His sight because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.